want you to turn to the book of James. James chapter 1 and verse 19. I've been thinking about uh, church life, and I, over the last three years, I've probably thought about it more intensely than I have in the past. Um, I've thought about, you know, my own kind of shift in focus and not wanting to not be a pastor, wanting to stay in ministry and wrestling with just some of the issues I was dealing with at that time, trying to sort it out in terms of how God wanted it to look in our church family. And then God, in his mercy, uh, brought us to the place of a pastoral team. And people said, said, so how do you feel? And I said, really good. Uh, I I feel blessed to have a team of people. I feel blessed to see more people stepping up and getting involved in ministry and us becoming more of the body of Christ. I thought from the introduction that I gave you last week that my introduction to the sermon really could be its own talk. I thought about the three images I shared with you of the body of Christ, or of the church, I should say, and I, I, I reflected on them through this week, and as I was driving, I actually had recorded them in my phone, and I thought, when would I share those things? And I guess now's the time that I would share those things. And uh, Karen, where's Karen? It's right here, Karen, okay? It's right here in my pocket, all right? Um, I thought about the three images that I gave you, and I started meditating on the impact of each image. So we know that the church is pictured by God's design as bride, body, and building. Those, that's the way God wants you and I to, they're the metaphors, the word pictures that God uses so I can get my arms around what the church is to be. Not so that I can say, oh, okay, I have a clear understanding of what the church is. And here's my fear. We may have, as we talked about last week, good ecclesiology, doctrine of the church. But if you know it and don't allow it to seep into the practice of your life, it's irrelevant. So my question this morning is, as you think about the church as the bride of Christ, as you think about the church as the body of Christ, as you think about the church as the building of God, so what? What The question becomes, what practical difference is that making in the use of my time, talent, and treasure? All of us having those three things. No matter what your age is, you have time, you have talents, and you have treasure. If the church is the bride of Christ, if it is the body of Christ, and if it is the building of God, the question that kind of nagged me, this was, so what? Okay, so I shared those facts with you, and you can go away saying, I know three pictures of the church. But if it doesn't at some level seep into practice, into my daily life and my daily relationship, not necessarily with the group as a whole, but with individual parts that God is connecting me with. And thinking about the body analogy, my thumb and my toe don't have a great relationship. They're related in a distant way, but there are parts of my body that are more intimately related with those parts. My hand has a closer relationship with my thumb than my foot does. Okay, and as as you think about church, I don't want you to think macro. I want you to think micro. I want you to think about at the level at which you begin to function and begin to experience life in the Spirit and by the Spirit as gifted and placed there by God. So can I just provoke your thinking about the three pictures? Here's what I thought about the bride of Christ. I thought the bride 
and the groom's relationship is one of, and I just thought, I just said, got one word, affection. Affection. God has for the church a deep passion and love. He has deep affection for the church. Affection that he does not have. Please understand this. He has a deeper affection for you than he does for those without Christ. He has a unique Christ-centered affection for you. He in the gospel has taken personal responsibility for you. And has brought you into a relationship that is to be characterized by affection. The church is his bride. So one question I'll ask you this morning is this. Are you living out that affection? That deep feeling that drives loving behavior? The bride of Christ. Second picture we talked about was the church as the body of Christ. I think I, I, I tried to illustrate this and failed. Your physical body, with all the great varieties of physical bodies, your physical body is the instrument in which you live. Most people are conscious of the fact that when they die, they do not go to the grave, but their body does. So I started thinking about body, and, and why would God say the church is the body of Christ? And, and I, think, I think the word body relates to activity, right? To the things that an individual does. They do them through their body. So throughout the Bible, God talks about your hands being clean, your hands being active, your hands doing things, the hand of God making something or doing something, the arm of God, those pictures, so the body is the means by which we do the work of God. It is, we are the physical representation of God in the world where we live. So in your home, you bring the church of Christ, the body of Christ, in a representative form. So the, the body is the, the activity of God. So here's a question I ask for you. Are you actively committed to being the body of Christ? Are you diligent in your service towards others? Are you seeking opportunities to serve selflessly, like Christ did, those around you? Because here's what can happen in a church. When you get to a church of about our size and beyond, you can come to church as a spectator. Okay, spectators go to games and go away if their team wins, taking credit for everything that happened. We won. And it's kind of an odd manner of speaking, but it's a common manner of speaking. I think it creeps into the church. The church as a body is only as effective as the constituent parts of it. It is the body of Christ is the activity of God now where we live. And I want you to ask yourself the question, am I a devoted part of the body that is committed to the one another's of Scripture? Because I can know it and not do it. And I want to encourage you to think, not at the macro level, not should I speak in front of the church on Sunday, should I teach a Sunday school class. I'm not talking about that level. I'm talking about the level of daily existence, that we are God's representation. When you walk into your workplace, you are God. Please understand how I say that. Okay, you are God's, you represent him. Does he come to work where you work? Does Jesus show up? 
and the actions that you and I participate in. The last picture I gave you was the church is the building of God. And when I think building, since we are in the process of now having acquired, now outfitting a building for ministry in our community, what is the building analogy? I think the building analogy has something to do with representation. So if, if bride is affection and body is activity, then building is representation. And so as we go out into the world around us, we, by God's grace, by the calling and work of His Spirit, have been called to represent Him where we live. And we'll, we'll pour a decent amount of concern into our appearance as a church family in terms of building. But we need to be more concerned about our representation of Christ as we go out into the world around us and seek to live the life that He has called us to live. So I, I, I put that challenge before you. That there are three pictures, one relating to affection, one relating to activity, one relating to representation. And I I want you to think about that truth and ask yourself the question, so how does that, how should that be or is that being revealed in my daily experience? That I am a committed, devoted, called member of the body of Christ. And am I doing that? To drive that home, I want to look at James 1. And I, I meant verse 22. I want you to look at this passage of Scripture, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of inclining back towards 19 through 21 because I think it helps to clarify and, and give us a deeper understanding of what's going on in this text. So I'm going to read 19 through 21, and then I want to just express a simple thought from 22 and then go to communion this morning. James writes, my dear brothers, and what is there? In the dear brothers, there is affection. Okay, so James, as he writes, does not write as a teacher coming down hard or a coach coming down hard on a broken church. He's a teacher affectionately calling to others within the bride to activity. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And I think we can put in parentheses for his people, his church. Therefore, he says, get rid of all moral filth, things that remain hidden in our lives. Drive these things out by the grace and spirit of God and the evil that is so prevalent, meaning I live in a world where opportunities for sinfulness are abundance. And the bride and the body and the building of Christ needs to be serious about confronting sin when it is present, individually and corporately. Because this moral filth distorts the affection. It destroys the activity and it defiles the representation of God through his church. So James very sharply calls us to listen. And then I think there's an implied call to response. It's very clear. He says then, and humbly accept the word that has been planted in you. And this is the work of the Spirit of God. He takes truth about Jesus, plants it deep in your heart, and begins to express it through bride, body, and building. That's his aim. Not for knowledge's sake, but for activity's sake, and affection's sake, and representation's sake. That's what he's doing. Accept the word planted in you. And I love the next phrase. And this did not stick out to me until about a month ago in the teen Sunday school class. Receive with meekness, humbly, God Please teach us. And then here's what he says. That word can save you. 
I thought, how can the commands of God, the teaching of God, because he's talking to the church, he's talking to those that are already part of bride, body, and building. So the saving he's talking about here has to be different than the saving we talk about in salvation. When we place faith and trust in Christ, acknowledge our sin, we are, by the grace of God, rescued, saved. But here he's talking to believers about how they can save their life. And that perked my interest. Is it possible that we as Christians can waste our lives? Yes or no? Yes. Well, then wouldn't you think that the antithesis of that could also be true, the opposite of that? That if I can waste my life, it also means by the grace and power of God in my response to truth, I can save my life. And I looked at the teenagers that day and said, I said, I've never thought of this. What does it mean? It means the experience of your life, the affection of your life, the effect of your life, the activity of your life can literally be rescued from what? From the destruction of the evil one who wants to lead you astray from the word of God by being God ignoring instead of God listening. He wreaked havoc in my life for three years because I wasn't listening. Did I know him? Yes. And the reason I know I knew him is because those three years were three years that I regretted deeply in the process. The Spirit of God not letting go, calling affectionately, wanting me to be his representation, affection, and activity. It's not fun to walk away from God. And what I'll tell you is if you know him deeply and personally, it's impossible. So maybe you're at a point in your life where you're tempted to walk away. Uh, I have a word, two words for you. Good luck. Good luck. If you're his child, he will not let you walk away without seeking and pursuing you. And it's how you know that you are his. Because that pursuit of God, that affection for a person who is part of his bride is unbreakable. And God takes a risk. He says to you, I will never let go. Well, then people can do whatever they want. True. But can they do it without the pursuit of the Spirit of God? The answer is no. Remember saying to my daughter when they were younger, no matter what you do, I will still love you. With the conviction that what? That that love would be the greatest deterrent to rebellion and sin in their lives. Is there a risk in saying no matter what? Yes. But I told him, I will come. You won't be able to hide. It's like in the movie Taken. I have special tools that I can use to find you. (laughs) You need capacities that I have been trained in. Okay? That's how I would deal with my daughter. It's like, I am not going to walk away from you. You can try whatever you want to try. But I'm on record that I'm not going to stand by and be an observer and a spectator. And folks, I want you to know something. When God expresses that kind of love that we sung about to you, Do you find that it caused you to say, please understand how I say this, in your heart, do you find yourself saying, oh, as you sing that song, oh, that means I can do whatever I want and God's still going to love me? Any of you have that thought this morning as you sung about God's love and affection? So you get it, right? 
you know what God wants? He wants you to know how much he loves you so that it begins to alter your behavior. It begins to alter your relationship to the body of Christ of which he has called you into. And James in this text says, if you yield to what you know of God's truth, not to all of it, but to the parts that you know, it will save your life. You, you can ignore God's truth and squander portions of your life. You can do that. But here's the promise of God. If you take the truth that I've taught you, that I've impressed upon you by the Spirit, and you begin to obey it, it will save your life. Take the truth that you know about lusting and let it become part of who you are. And let the greater love of Christ destroy that lesser love. Take the truth of God about destroying anger. Let the truth that God gives right here be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, because the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. The next time you feel that anger building up in you towards a coworker, towards your children, towards your mate, why don't you go to God and say, God, I, I, want, I want to see you destroy that in my life. I want to see your truth save my life. And you will begin to have salvation experiences on a regular basis as God rescues you from your natural tendencies by the power of his spirit. Now, James goes on then to say about this word that can literally save your life. And I'm going to now drive this into the realm of, that's very practical. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. So this morning I share with you three thoughts. The church is the body, the bride, and the building of God. That's truth for you. He wants to be active through you. He wants to represent through you. He wants to love through you. That's what he's saying. Now you've got to start to think in your daily experience and in your relationships with one another, how that's going to look. But that's the word of God for you today. Now here's my question. James says, do not merely listen to the word. And then he gets strong. He says, if you come every Sunday or you come intermittently and you hear the word of God, but you don't put it into practice, you don't allow the spirit of God to gain entrance into every area of your life. Here's what James is saying. You're going to church. It's like a Halloween mask. It's like a charade. It's not who you really are. And James uses a strong word. He says, if that's how you're living, you're deceiving yourself. You're tricking yourself into thinking that what you're doing actually makes an eternal difference. And you're deceiving yourself. Because you've settled for a lukewarm or even chilling relationship to the church of God. For all the reasons I talked about last week. And you're deceived into thinking that this is church life. And that's what Satan wants to think. Because you know what he can then do? He can render the affection of Christ dead in this church. He can render all the activity that God wants to do through our church irrelevant, a charade. He can render our representation as the body of Christ in our community null and void or diluted or distorted. So I challenge you, I challenge myself, I've been thinking about this this week because this is the area where Tim Hoff gets passionate about the church. I want to see us be what God wants us to be. I want to see us grow by reaching into our community and seeing people that don't know Jesus coming to know Jesus. I want to see God as leadership. We want to see God unleash a wave of service in our community that can only be seen as Jesus. Jesus. But if we just merely listen, bride, 
bodybuilding. Got it? Got it. Good. And it doesn't sink down in to where it begins to affect change. Just straight. My fear is that we as Christians can just be deceived. That we are the body of Christ, but we aren't indeed or in fact the body of Christ. So I challenge you. Are you putting into practice as, the child of, as a child of God, as part of the bride, the building, and the body? Are you putting, are you taking, saying, God, this week, here's an area in which my life needs to, I need to begin to make adjustments. I'm not looking for mega changes. Okay, I think God incrementally, as Karen shared with us, he just wants to reshape you. He wants, sometimes we get off the wheel and we get, we get distorted. We're not, it's hard to tell what it is. And the master applies his touch, and all of a sudden, the beauty begins to emerge, and function begins to emerge, and affection and love begins to emerge. That's what God's doing. But it will only happen as I say, okay, God, I got what you're saying. My life's changing this week or today. Because I don't want to be someone who simply deceives himself, thinking, I'm that. And everybody's saying, no, you're not. Or God, more importantly, is saying, no, you're not. This morning, as I was getting ready, I used a mirror. And, and some of you are thinking, I can't tell. <laughs> but the purpose of the mirror is to say, you look into it, you get a clear reflection of yourself after I wipe away the fog from my hot shower, okay? And I see what's there, and it's, it's interesting, okay? I understand that, okay? And here's, here's how the mirror functions. I see it, I shave it, most of it, and I go out and I represent and I, I consciously realize I represent my wife everywhere I go. I, I leave some reflection on that woman because we are one. She obviously represents better than I do. But here's what James says. If you hear what God says, you look in the mirror, you see things that are out of line, and you don't make any corrections. That look in the mirror was a waste of time. And my, my prayer, and I, I, I've wrestled with this as a pastor for a long time. Just, God, how do, we, how do we wake up? How do we wake up as the people of God and really begin to become sensitive to your promptings and leadings? I, I mean, I remember clearly in, in 1981 when God broke my heart over my rebellion like that. He didn't do it through a sermon. He did it through a question before the sermon, which I probably shared with you. The pastor before he preached gave the invitation and said, will you right now say to God, if you speak to my heart today, I will change whatever you want to change. My hand went up and I was like, what was that? I just got suckered. <laughs> and my heart, in that moment, my heart broke. Because you know what I saw? I said all of, all of my no to God was purely rebellion. It was knowing and not doing. And when I got it clear, it was rebellion against God. It broke my heart and changed my life. So maybe you're here this morning, and maybe for you it's the gospel. Maybe it's the gospel. God has been speaking Jesus into your life as your hope and as your Savior, as your new life. And you're kind of in one ear and out the other. Maybe today God's saying, uh, today's your day. Come to the Savior. Maybe you have, you've been harboring a low-grade rebellion. I'm going to tell you something. Like, I got the Ben Carson issue, okay? My story's not horrible. 
Okay? It's not horrible. But when it hit me what I was doing, I realized, and we said this in parenting classes, willful rebellion, that's what I said to my kids, willful rebellion will be confronted. I don't care if it's dropping a cotton ball down and letting it hit the floor. You understand the point? Willful rebellion. It's not the magnitude of what's happening because one day it'll be, I'm going to go out and hang out with people I don't want you to hang out with. And I just want you to know, you have one obligation to me as your parent, and that is to listen. I won't tolerate willful rebellion. We need to come to a place in our lives as Christians where we say, God, I've got willful rebellion, and I need to confess it to you. I need to be broken. I need to see it for what it is. I've, I've become a kingmaker, and the king is me, and I've crossed you out. And I want to challenge you this morning to listen to what God is saying about his church and to ask yourself the question, am I willing to step up and say, God, today, start with me. Today, start with me. I don't know what your issue is, but I know we all have them. I don't know what area of your heart right now God is pushing on and saying you've been listening and looking in the mirror and never changing, and you know it's wrong. You're deceiving yourself. And maybe today God wants to give you the freedom and joy that I experienced the day that he broke my heart with his love. And I realized it was against him and him only that I had sinned. And I confessed it to him and experienced a change. And I've been down that road a couple times over the years. And we all will go down that road by his grace. I call you this morning. Don't merely listen. Don't merely look in the mirror and go away saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. When you've got issues you need to address. We're going to come to the Lord's table this morning. And the Lord's table... And our church is celebrated on a regular basis because the aim of it is to give us a chance to examine ourselves and then eat of the bread that speaks broken body and then drink of the cup that speaks blood of Christ, hope for sinners, blood of Christ, hope for sinners. And that every time you do it, you proclaim his death as your only hope until the day that he comes. The hope being that as you come and you hold in your hands those two elements that symbolize the pure grace of God and the mercy of God towards you, that as you hold those elements, God will prick your heart. It will be the mirror that you look into, the perfection of Christ. And you will see the atonement for your sin. And you will cry out to God and say, God, my relationship to the church is not, it doesn't measure up and it needs to change. My relationship to my mate I've been harboring anger, bitterness, whatever it is, it needs to change. Young person, I've been harboring rebellion towards my parents today. That needs to end. It needs to come to an end. Thoughts in my mind that have been haunting, they need to end by the grace and power of God. So each one, Paul says, should examine himself and then eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And then every time we do it, he says, you proclaim my death as your only hope until the day that I come. May God help us this morning to look in the mirror and become doers of the word in relationship to what he's doing here, and not hearers only who deceive ourselves. Father, as we prepare to come to your table,